Hello and welcome to episode 45 of the Sheffield Digital Podcast. And this is one of those special episodes where we present you with the talks from one of the Sheffield Digital showcases. In this case, this was all recorded on Thursday the 26th of September 2019 at the workstation. There were five fantastic chats that our very own Chris Diamond had with some of the city's wonderful tech folk. First of all, you'll hear from Joe Hansaker, founder and CEO of Elements Technology, which provides a simple plug-and-play system for automating manufacturing processes. Then we'll have Paul Hilton, technical director at Can Studios. He explains how an overall of their technology stack has made their e-learning platform accessible even to small companies, entrepreneurs, and startups, which is in contrast to most learning management systems. Then we'll have Laura Smith, CEO of Slanted Theory. She demonstrates how their Alera platform delivers engaging interactive experiences in virtual and augmented reality that enable non-specialists to explore their data like never before. After that, we'll have Dom Barter, founder of Hexos, Dom is going to introduce his new digital service, which visualises public transport data across the whole of the UK to generate accurate travel time heat maps for any location. Then it's Ibrahim Sheik and John Cusack. They're from Cubic Aerial Systems. Together, they explain how technologies like volumetric scanning, LiDAR, drones and high-performance computing are transforming the surveying industry. And that's it. There is, of course, a good chance that I've pronounced some of that wrong, but hopefully you'll let me off. So here we go, starting with Joe Hansaker, who was speaking to our own Chris Diamond, of course, about the Elements platform. Now, we join Joe going straight into his slides. There's no messing around, no fussy introduction. Let's get straight in there. So talk us through what this is about to show us. Yeah, so what we do is we take off-the-shelf technologies, um, simple technologies like mobile phones, tablets. Um, what we do is create software that then repurposes them so that they're tools for small manufacturers um, to track what they're doing in the factory. Um, so a bit of context, um, Industry 4, huge market for technology at the moment in manufacturing, expected to grow to something like $230 billion by 2023. But most of those technologies are focused on the 1% of manufacturers that are large. We're focusing on the 99%, which are SMEs. Mm-hmm. And at the moment, there's not really much out for them. So we're trying to plug that gap using simple So you're tech. using free commercial, freely available, cheap technologies yeah. to allow small or medium-sized engineering companies, manufacturing companies to automate their processes? Yeah, and- yeah. So, so at the heart of it is we've got a mobile app which uses contactless technology. Um, to track manufacturing processes. So typically in a factory, you'd have a series of pieces of paper that follow an order around and there'd be a checklist saying, I've done this, I've done that. But that's obviously very, very slow to get that information back to the the guys running the factory. Mm. We've just turned it into an app, which then obviously spits out the data live to live work in progress, which is what's on the screen there. Um, So they could be on the train down to London or they could be on a flight and still be able to see everything that's going on in their factory. And it's completely plug and play. So, so that phone would be moving around the factory? Uh, or yeah, or on a, a work station. Yeah, so it could be on a workstation. Uh, it could be on each person, but effectively people log in using an ID card and then tap. Instead of having three or four pieces of paper, they just have one NFC card. They tap and it will open up the, all the dockets information. Okay, on, on their phone? Yeah, yeah. And then there's a, there's a desktop? Yeah, just um, through Element. the aggregated data and you yeah. can drill down in it. And that's yeah, what... so it's like a dashboard that's um, available through elements.technology. So that's why it's so portable in terms of being able to get it anywhere is as long as you've got Google Chrome, you can log into it and see all the information. Okay, cool. Um, you know your slides better than I do. Yeah, so yeah. tell me when, we, when you want to move no, on. No, no, we can one. crack on if you want. Okay. Cool. Yeah, so um, in terms of uh, where the idea came from, so I was previously working in wearable tech. So I worked for a Sri Lankan garment manufacturer in their innovation department, primarily on wearable tech, but a few other things. Um, So we were playing around with various technologies, including NFC. um, And I was was wondering whether there was more scope in other industries. So we were working with people like Nike, Puma, Speedo, people like that. And I was wondering whether the wearables could be used to uh, track worker movements, things like that in high value manufacturing. So whilst towards the end of my contract there, I started doing factory visits. So went to Lango Rourke in Worksop, went to Bentley and Crew. 
and started coming up with the idea of using simple technologies to create simple and cheap solutions that small manufacturers could use. Mm -hmm. um, so it started, started the company last January as using NFC, where you have it on a drill, for Do example. January this year or last, last year? Last, last year, yeah. So last January, it started with the idea that you'd have an app uh, and you'd have NFC stickers, you put them on equipment, and when you tap that piece of equipment, it's going to tell you health and safety information specific to that device. But what it'd also do is then say that that user is using that device to perform that task, so you create this picture of what's going on in the factory mm -hmm. without much interaction. Mm -hmm. uh, I then went to Rolls-Royce Hack and Pitch and won that by basically saying, using this technology, we could track an order. Rather than focusing on, on health and safety, let's track orders. So that was our first big pivot. And I've got the other three later on in, okay. in the presentation. Okay, so when you say track orders, you mean so that clients can track orders through the factory in real time yeah. because they can see... So, so the idea presented at the time was that um, they got like a 70% failure rate on certain parts. So um, they were looking at ways to uh, reduce that. So I said, lean optimization, split it down, do little tests uh, every so often. But then because you've got that data from each of those segments, you can then run correlations to identify when the, there's an issue, it's because of this, this, and this. Okay. So you can then learn from that data you're capturing. And the way you d capture that data is using the tech that I was yeah. proposing at the time. Okay. It was still completely and utterly in my head. Yeah. No prototypes. So, so, but was that prior to January last year or? Uh, no, no. So this so was this about two months after I started okay. that I went and it was just me this and my You were pitching ideas. the idea at that point? Yeah, yeah, very much so. Okay. So. Yeah, so um, in about May, May time, uh, I went to like a milestone, milestones and road mapping course and realized I needed a technical co-founder. So I got yeah. my uh, friend I'd met a few years previously, Pete, who's an like absolute genius. Uh, he's not here today, but um, so his background was doing um, predictive crime analysis with Greater Manchester Police. He'd done software programs to detect motor neurone disease. He'd done autoimmune systems for ATMs, boffin. So I got him involved uh, and then we started the bit of the journey. So first of all, um, obviously we did stuff with Rolls-Royce and Digital Catapult. Um, then we kind of got involved with AMRC and then uh, we got investment around November, I think it was. Okay. Moved over to Sheffield Technology Parks, uh, which has been awesome and got involved with Sheffield Digital and we've got involved with Made in Sheffield and just really embraced the Sheffield ecosystem really. Yeah. Uh, but is, then is, is that why you why you're in Sheffield or are you from Sheffield or no, did you... no, I, no, I'm from, I'm from Burton near okay. Derby. Yeah. Um, so, so yeah, so I, I still drive an hour to get here each day. Oh, wow. I only okay. come twice a week. It's yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, we brought on some really, really good staff. Um, and yeah, it's accelerated really. Yeah. Uh, but we've, we've tried really hard to, if we need something, we'll look inside Sheffield tech Park, see if we've got the, the, the abilities there yeah. normally have. And then if we don't, we'll look outside into Sheffield. So that's really interesting that you're that you're here in the in the middle of Sheffield, though. I mean, obviously you can yeah, be yeah. in, um, but Sheffield and Sheffield's a great place to do this kind of technology, yeah. I guess, because of its engineering. Well, well we moved background. because of the investment. But, uh, so the investments through Northern Powerhouse. Ah, okay. So it required that we were in Sheffield because yeah. we were actually based Manchester, Chester way before. All right. Um, but we were required to move this side, and then obviously it's worked out perfectly because we've got the AMRC on the doorstep. Yeah. You've got the industrial heritage of Sheffield. Uh, and now we had a big SME based. Yeah, massive. Client. Yeah, so um, the amount of support we get is uh, is, is brilliant, um, and we're really embracing it. That like, it's the best place for us to be by a mile. And now we're trying to drive this ecosystem of digital manufacturing around here because mm -hmm. it makes sense that Sheffield's a place to do it mm -hmm. more than anywhere else in the UK. So cool. we're on a journey. Yeah. Yes. Speaking of which, wow, time that road. Yes. I, I didn't even realise. <laughs> um, so yeah. So as I mentioned, so. Um, we had four main pivots. So the first one was the hack and pitch, which went from being health and safety to more order focused. We then met with somebody who said, why are you targeting the, like the big guys like Rolls-Royce and Boeing? Why don't you look at SMEs? Did the market research? Yeah, made perfect sense. Um, then we were told that we can't just provide software. You need to provide everything. So we're like, we need a full stack solution. Uh, and then finally, because we're kind of, the costs are about the same sizes, uh, same prices like enterprise. So, not enterprise, sorry, consumer technologies. Yeah. So, why would you go down the standard enterprise route of loads of demos, really, really like request a callback and all that? When actually you can get started for two hundred and fifty quid, we can sell it like an iPhone. 
turns out that manufacturers don't do that. Oh. So uh, we, we pivoted and went, you know what, this isn't working. Let's go down a more direct sales route. Right. And, so, so you packaged it up into something that you could buy off the shelf. Yeah. And you like a starter can. pack. Yeah, of. exactly. Which I've got in my bag. I should right. have brought it on stage. Yeah. Um, <laughs> show people off. And, and yeah, so the idea is that people can try it out. Yeah. Um, and hopefully we'll go down more of a marketing-based strategy in the future once we've got the exposure. Yeah. But we've realized that people need to get their hands on it and we need to right. go and visit factories. Um, and that's worked. It's working a lot better. So yeah, yeah. that fits more into their usual procurement models. Yeah, ex- exactly. Yeah. Dealing with salespeople and so, being so pitched. It's and that stuff. idea of just being agile, isn't it? Yeah. Like yeah. You've got to just follow what is working. What If something isn't working, just change. So, so that's what we've done. And it's just that standard lean startup model of once we started creating the products, uh, we had, we, we've had a beta test that's been ongoing for about six, seven months. We just didn't ever end it because we were, like, we were learning so much from them. Why would right. we stop? Yeah. Um, so luckily, uh, a couple of them are now converting to being full customers, um, which is great. Um, and yeah, yeah, just going down that route. Right. So, so is it, tell me about that full stack part of it then. So, um, so what is it on top of what we've kind of saw in the first Yeah, slide? so originally the idea was that we'd have the software. So we'd build the software and they'd go away and buy the, the phones and they'd buy the NFC yeah. and they'd buy everything they needed. Right, okay. But then we were told that actually manufacturers don't want to do that. What they want is you to give them everything they need and they can just get going with it. And Even if yeah. it's more expensive? Yeah, but yes, yeah. Ultimately, like I was at University of Cambridge on Tuesday and they're doing... Um, something where they, they use um, Raspberry Pis and they use open source software, and that's very cheap. But actually the implementation is gonna be more expensive because you'll need right. the skills. Whereas yeah. if, they'd spend, if you spend more money on the tech and it's easier to implement, the actual overall cost is yeah, reduced. Because actually the time is the big thing for manufacturers. Yeah. Uh, like for a, a, like a 10 man metal, uh, metal fabrication shop, that every single person there it's like their job is like yeah. nine till five and they don't have any time spare. Yes, so we've had, we've had over a hundred years of time and motion yeah. studies. Yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so, uh, make it, everything really so it's not like uh, one of the OEMs where they can just put a team of like apprentices, uh, apprentice, apprentices on yeah. it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Okay, well, this is all really good knowledge that you're over. gathering. No, it's not over yeah. at all. <laughs> um, to just to talk about what the impacts are and what, what you're Yeah, so... Like earlier this year, we started pitching it as a productivity solution. So the idea is that by using our system, you reduce all or, and remove the non-value-added tasks. Um, so even simple things like writing down that you performed a task with the date and doing your signature, well, we just simplify that by tapping your card. And all those kind of little taps add up across the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what it also does is it removes any of those. Is that an eight or a three? And we'll just find out. Um, one thing that we didn't realize was going to be a benefit was because uh, we started with it being all about the shop floor and then it grew out to being all about the, the managers, like the main stakeholders. And then as soon as we gave it to people, they said, well, actually our sales team are benefit- benefiting from it because they can instantly look and see where an order is if somebody calls them up. Right. So it's actually saving them as much time as it is the yeah, shop Yeah, exactly. Floor. So the customer services improves, uh, which led to a feature I've not mentioned here at all where we created um, something similar to what Hermes and DPD do and cr- create a tracking code. Ah, okay. So when you start an order, you can send an email to your customer yeah. and it, they'll be able to track where the order's up to. So you don't even get that phone call. Uh, so that's a big value-added service. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Even, so, the, even the big boys don't provide. Exactly. Nobody provides it. Yeah. It's like genuinely a world first as far as we know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, no, no other technology provides that. So we just... It's MVP at the moment. So yeah. we're, we're trying to work out how best to, to kind of evolve it. Yeah, great. Well, it's a great story and we wish you all the best in the future. Thank you very much. It turns into something absolutely massive, but um, give it all up for Joe and Elements. Thanks. Cool. All right. Uh, let's have Paul Hilton on stage from Cannes Studios. <laughs> Hello, Paul. All right. Yes. Yes. Okay. Should we, should we hit your first slide straight away? Let's, let's go for it. <laughs> you know, a, a really good friend of mine used to do a comic strip called Super Big Head Girl, and I can't watch that without thinking <laughs> of the comic strip that you used to. I can see that. 
so this slide is really a, a collage of the kind of work we've done. We're, we're coming up on our 20th uh, birthday as yeah. a company, and we've been doing digital learning solutions for all that time. Uh, you know, I thought by now we maybe would have gone into something else, you know, move on. But, <laughs> but, but it turns out to be quite a broad yeah. area to work in. Yeah, well, you're, you're part of the big cluster of e-learning businesses that are in Sheffield. Yeah, yeah. We, we started in this building and right. we were surrounded by you know, the likes of Desk. Uh, yeah. Tech you sort of here did a bit, I guess, do you? Um, oh, I'm sorry. Yes, thank you. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've... You say we, we met. I think there were five companies in this building at the time that we started, yeah. and then the first dot com bubble went, and a yeah. lot of our colleagues moved on. Um, but you're now over in Park Hill. We're at Park Hill, been there for nearly three years. Um, yeah, so that's all going very you're well. You're still around 20 yeah, years later. Yeah, and in that time, the, the picture's meant to represent a diverse range of things. We've taught three year olds how to read with a giant purple cat, but we also teach the UN um, how to look after their refugee camps and, and things like that. So it's a really broad spectrum. Right. And it's broad from a technology point of view as well. We don't really we don't have that knowledge. We build the platforms. And our biggest platform is uh, a homework platform in secondary schools, which okay. has got about 2 million students and gets 10,000 hits a minute. Wow. Uh, the smallest probably would have been, it had 10 engineers in it, that uh, an F1 racing team wanted to be their next, oh. like, next gen engineers. So right. they got dedicated one-to-one -one tuition. Okay. So, so you, you, you design bespoke platforms for these organizations and yeah. and the content as well? Or so do they do yeah, the we'll work with a subject matter expert and, right. and produce sort of hour-long blocks at a time and, and put that together into the platform. Um, so some of these relationships, we have nothing to do with the content. Others, you know, we're very yeah, heavily yeah. involved. And okay. sometimes the two are kind of blended together. So the cat thing that taught the three-year-olds the content and the system were at one and it sort of knew where you were at and okay. created the content for you. Okay. Should we look at the next slide? Yeah. So the product we're talking about is yeah. it's called Training Post, um, and it's actually a rebuild of a product that we'd built before. Um, and this comes about from basically quite often people will come to us and build a course. They, they know they want to do a course on something. Maybe they're a trainer already, and they want to, you know, they can only see so many people in a day. Mm -hmm. So they think, well, I've got all this knowledge, and there's all these people. I'll, I'll make a course that I can sell on the internet, something like that. Yeah. Um, there's, quite, there's plenty of platforms that sort of allow that. Yeah, yeah. What they quite often don't realise when they come to us is that they need that platform because a lot of the people are coming from a different industry, you know, the face-to-face -face right. training. Mm -hmm. um, so this image of a gallery with some security guards in is meant to represent the things that our platform does, which is it gives you somewhere to put that content and you need to know who's launching it and make sure that people who haven't paid aren't launching it or only the right people can review the content that's in there or see the reports. So okay. this is sort of a metaphor. So you act as the gallery. Yes. We, the artists. Yeah. The uh, bit that's sort of quite often forgotten when you, you yeah. go to the place and you're looking at the specific content. Okay. This represents a lot of learning management systems. So we have a, a very busy junction of different things all coming together. I noticed there's a half-built... Uh, building in this, which also helps as well, because a lot of people try and build really big things that don't aren't f sort of really finished and don't work quite how the user expects. Right. Um, and so this is sort of the start of the journey for this product. We had already built uh, an e-learning platform that could sell content, yeah. and we were in the situation where it got so big we were actually running five servers for our clients for each client. <laughs> right. And so we were, okay. you know, we'd have somebody come to us go, I, I do training of a, of a daytime and I'd like to launch a course. And we were going, oh, it's going to be 3,000 pounds a month to turn the server on for you, you know. And they were walking away. <laughs> um, so our, our new product is, is to get around that problem. And we've rebuilt that starting in January this year. Okay. And, and we've, it is now live. Um, so it's really so, about the technology. So, um, so how old is trading, a training post? Then? Training post is a platform, I think is four years old. Okay. Um, but it's sort of a, a kind of conceptual sort of concept. We, we've, we've rebuilt the platform entirely from scratch mm -hmm. in the last nine months. Right. Yeah. So I uh, can't remember what's the next slide. Well, I, I think... Oh, it is training post. There you go. <laughs> and that is the simplicity of training post. Um, so... We've stripped everything back. Um, we've started from the perspective, you finish when there's nothing left to remove. It's, it's yeah. more of that kind of approach. So um, the product is very simple for a learner. They just see a list of courses and they can open them. It's very simple for a manager. They see a list of courses and a list of people and they can just put the courses and people in a group together and those people can now get to that course. 
and you compare that to some of the other systems that we've had in the past, and it's it's just you know, you're setting up routes and 53 fields you have to fill in before you can yeah. put your course in. I need three images, one for the front page, one for when it's found in a focused search, one for when it's featured. And there were just so many barriers to putting anything in the platform or getting a person there. Um, and we wanted to, to get rid of all that. So you've kind of put 20 years of experience of creating these platforms and four years of experience creating a platform that does specifically this. Yeah, um, and technology stack behind it all, we're, you know, we've gone through many iterations. Yeah. And, and so this is much nicer to work with. We work in two week sprints. Um, we, we literally had a client ask for a feature two weeks ago that's that's live now because we went through the sprint automatic testing and that's yeah. internal in the code right, wow. browser testing what a luxury being able to <laughs> it's, honestly it's so nice build everything <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah so it, it's it's really great and so it's it's very clean and simple and so we can now offer the product that used to be three thousand yeah. pounds every month uh for basically i can give away free trials <laughs> and it's two pound a user at the moment and, right, wow. and so you can start with one user and see how it goes yeah uh, which I think brings us on to kind of the next slide, which is we want to be seen as some kind of birthplace of stars in, in the industry. <laughs> um, we have so many people want to start a new platform. Right. Um, and they just get put off. So, so do, do you see this as being kind of the focus of Can Studio going forward, supporting this platform as, as the kind of universal solution um, to the things that you used to bespoke? I think, yeah, it's, I mean, yeah, we, we do do a lot of bespoke stuff. So, yeah. you know, it's not going to replace a homework system for... Yeah, yeah. Ox Oxbridge company um, but for our ecosystem so we build courses we build authoring tools so that people can make their own courses and this is sort of the platform that brings it all together and being the modern sort of launch part it is going to be yeah sort of the focal point of the offering because everything sort of comes out through that yeah um, but yeah it really does sort of complete the the ecosystem you know um, not being able to offer the whole stack having any bit missing is difficult and although yeah, yeah. we could fill it it was just too expensive for for people to start up right so so talk to me a bit about how it was built then how many people have you got working on it how big can studio so the the company is 16 people at the moment um half half of the team are really on content like so they're building the one-hour courses for people that might go in this so okay. we now sort of down to quite a small <laughs> sort of team um so i tend to sort of do like project management and um, so I'm the product owner. If yeah. you like. We've got five programmers have worked on this, but mostly the sprints are two or three people. Uh, one manual tester who's just doing like the sanity check, mm -hmm. but those developers are putting in the, the, the tests, automatic yeah, tests yeah, yeah. in every sprint. So it's, it's been up to date with the tests all the way along. So it's really quite a An small team for this kind of... Easy to deploy at the end. Yeah. Um, we're working with Laravel in yeah. PHP. Um, we're using browser stack to do the automated browser testing on all platforms. Uh, we're using Envoya to help us do our deployments, so the site doesn't go down while we're doing the deployment. That's all we're in. How's it hosted? Uh, so we're in AWS, okay. um, but the stack it's uh, multi-tenant. Each tenant's got their own database, so we can easily scale out later. That's something we learned from a pri previous product. Yeah. We've got one database which has got. I think 120 gigabytes of data and 4 billion records in one table, and we don't want to end up there again. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So the, you no longer have that. Oh, you have that database. That's, on that's a different client, yeah. different product. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but we don't have that one. So, so what, what's it been like then, um, migrating the trainers and customers that you had on the original version across? We're getting really good feedback. So um, we haven't got the entire feature set of the original right. product. Um, it's a sort of a you may never do because we may not it's no. a different philosophy so it's very difficult to please all the people all the time yeah. and one of the reasons you get that spaghetti junction of stuff is because you try and implement a big complicated feature for one client and now everybody's got to go and turn it off yeah and there's platforms like Moodle that people may have heard of that is just when you set up one of those you spend the first week turning stuff off that your client <laughs> doesn't want you know and we're yeah. just trying to avoid that so we've got minimal feature set um, but we've implemented a full API Okay. So if anybody says, well, I want it to do this, oh, we can right. build a little sort of stack yeah. by the side of it and give them the features they want. Right. Without and hide it from everybody else. Yeah. yeah. They, they can have that bit private. That can be on its own release cycle. Okay. Um, so yeah. is that open to third-party developers as well? Yeah, we've got um, the API is documented on Apiary. I yeah. assume it's pronounced like that. Yeah. Apiary would be weird. Um, 
So yeah, yeah, that's open. That's on our documentation, and we encourage people to you know extend it. And we're trying to get a lot of resellers involved, and a lot of those want to sort of link it into the way that they already sell, so they can actually you know, use their portal and just push users into our system, yeah. and they just get the benefit yeah, of the yeah, nice yeah. user so interface. It's a proper ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. So so when did the new version launch then? And is it still called? It's still it yeah, training yeah. post two. It's training it post. It's training just post. Still training yeah, post. Um, it's a training post is a concept. And okay. uh, this is just the latest technology in it. Yeah. Right. But yeah, it launched. I think we're on release one point six, and they're every two weeks. So okay, it'll be about two months right. ago. Or yeah, 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 yeah. Brilliant. Oh, we wish it all the best in the future. I Thank hope you. It becomes a really significant thing in the marketplace. And it, yeah, it's, a, it's another great thing that's coming out of the edtech sector in the city. So it's really good to see. Yeah. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Really. Paul, Okay, up next is Laura Smith. Hi, Laura. Hello. Hi. Um, How's it going? Uh, great. How are you? <laughs> Good, thank you. <laughs> um, so I know quite a bit about your company anyway, because I've been inside Alira. Um, but maybe for the other people in the audience and people watching on the video, we'll show what it looks like and then start talking about it. Is that cool? Yeah, absolutely. Just bear in mind that what you see on the screen may look cool, but it's so much better in 3D. Yeah. <laughs> okay. At this point in proceedings, Chris plays a rather marvellous video from Slanted Theory. And um, it's brilliant, but it's very difficult to convey such a thing in podcast form. So you'll have to imagine it. It looks amazing. I think a round of applause for the, sec <laughs> for the software. Thank you. You're basically making science fiction real, it looks like. Yeah, well, I, I often make a joke in some of my uh, presentations that we're trying to make data sexy, and usually I have an image of data from Star Trek on there, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that would be too big a task. For, oh, I don't know, actually. I could um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so you build um, interactive, immersive data experiences That's right. for people to gain insights into whatever data set, yes. the organization, the state of the world, uh, whatever massive data set Absolutely. Yep. you can make visual like that. That's right. So the idea of uh, 3D data visualization and analytics, when people think of data visualization, they think of it as an end product, just to present information. Yeah. Whereas what we're trying to do is create a platform that is a collaborative and analytic and visualization all in one. So basically, 3D visualizations uh, are actually the tools that you use to analyze the data itself. Right. Yeah, so they're kind of a permanent thing. They're not something that you get at the end of a long process to look at and make decisions about. They're something that you inhabit yeah. regularly yeah, you in, can... the, in the course of managing or, or That's know, right. figuring out what to do next. That's right. You can literally step inside the data because the great thing about 3D visualizations and the technology in terms of virtual reality or even augmented reality. It, the power of that technology allows us now to bring in multiple data sets uh, and put them together into one visualization. Mm -hmm. So whereas if you think about a 2D visualization, uh, you've got two dimensions, maybe up to four dimensions within that. Uh, and then it with, just gets too messy and yeah. too difficult to interpret. Whereas with 3D visualizations, you can have up, you know, 10 or over dimensions of data that we can display, but you can have multiple data sets within that. And um, the visualizations we have, which is uh, the image that you see here, uh, we can show sort of 20,000 data points per graph. And yes. then within these spaces, you can have multiple graphs within that. And they're designed to make complex data easy, easier to digest. Yeah. And so you, you literally, you would interact with it. You see it as a whole, and then you would go to it and you would break it apart yeah. and you drill down into the many layers so behind like it. So like that, you know, in the video, pull Italy out and then yep. all Italy's data suddenly Comes up. emerges out of the, out of the, That's right. yep. the image of Italy for you to then look at in more detail or to yeah. compare individual data points with other countries. And yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the great way that you, the great thing with visuals is that it, you can see trends within the data really quickly. Mm. So um, with 2D visualizations, we often have this issue with some of the software that's out there that you can sort of drill down into the levels of the data, but you can usually do it like two or three times. Mm. And each time you drill down, it changes the entire graph. 
Um, with the technology like this, you can drill down into multiple levels, but you never lose sight of how the data is connected right, back up. Because it's a physical structure. And this is yeah. like what I find really fascinating because you kind of you get an impression of the thing that you're looking at because of the way that you've interpreted the structure of the data in the first place, I guess. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the environments that you create, they're bespoke for those for that data set, or you, are they made up of standard um, interaction modules that you put together for the particular kind of data that you're working with? Or so at how the, does that work? At the moment, they're designed around the data that our clients give us. Um, so we create the visualizations that are designed to be engaging. Uh, because we want, there's a, a thing in the market in terms of business, uh, analytics and business intelligence that the, what they're trying to do is they're trying to empower existing staff yeah. with the ability to do analytics. Yeah, so they don't need to hire expensive data scientists. Yeah, but exactly. They don't exist anyway. <laughs> there's too much demand. And not but there. the problem is not everybody's an analytics person or yeah. a stats person, so they don't really know uh, what they're looking for. So if you can put it in a visual way that allows them to drill down and compare and contrast and sort of work with their sort of natural movements, then you're going to give them the ability to find information within that. So there was an example where I had, uh, I was doing a demo in Germany and I had a client come up to the, the exhibition and she was playing around with our customer analytics uh, visualizations. And she was opening multiples of these out. And she actually spotted something in the data that I, we hadn't spotted. She spotted that customers that churned uh, in this data mm. had less frequent, uh, less contact points with the agent that was oh. in this. But the customers that didn't churn had more consistent and frequent contact points, and then they stayed with the company. Now, the great thing about this was that we hadn't actually designed the visualization around that specific question. We hadn't programmed it to do mm -hmm. that. It's just as a result of the way that we visualized it that she actually spotted mm -hmm. it uh, that trend. Yeah. When the data was presented in that way. Yeah. And then you can look to make a decision based so, around that. So it must take some time then to analyze the data sets that you're given by a client and come up with, you know, the most effective way of displaying it and manipulating it. It, it does at the moment, yes. Yeah. <laughs> the, the whole goal of uh, Alara is designed that in the future, we want it to be data components that actually create the visualization based on the data itself right. so that we don't have to get involved. Right. Um, so there, are, there would be standard components. So yeah. you know what this type of data is and what its range is and therefore this particular That's interaction right. might be suitable for it. Yeah, we're, we're building uh, a generic library of yeah. 3D visualization okay. so that people can apply their data to that. But the ultimate goal is to create it so that the users themselves can create visualizations in the way that makes sense to them. Right. So when you're in these environments, because uh, it's collaborative, completely collaborative, you can have, let's say you and I are in there, you could be working on the same data as I am at the same time, but yeah. you could be asking a different question yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. So it's a completely agile environment. But, but we could see each other and communicate. Yeah, absolutely. So I could be analyzing one data component, you could be analyzing another. And then once we get to that point, we want to present it back uh, it, because it's in a visual way and because the, of the way that the customer has created that visualization, it makes sense to them. They can easily step through their C-level person or manager or, or whoever it is in the steps that they've taken to find that result right. and communicate yeah, it back yeah, easily. Yeah, so they can tell the narrative. Yeah where the insights come from. Yeah, and, ev and you, uh, anything that you see in a visual format tends to create an impact anyway. And most people tend to understand it a lot better when they see it rather than in text and numbers, so. <laughs> okay, um, do you want to talk about so, images or? Yeah, well, uh, we can skip, we can skip uh, forward can we? a little bit because I know we're running out of time. Yeah. Uh, so this is the, our team and uh, so we create uh, what we're doing in Unity, just uh -huh. to answer that quick question, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a great, great platform and it's really good for uh, the amount of dynamic components that we have. Uh, brilliant. Um, if you want to move on to the next one, because <laughs> I can see the clock ticking okay. down. <laughs> okay, got um, the, so this is the uh, part of Alera as well. So Alera also is uh, created for augmented reality. So the platform is actually cross-device. Okay. So we have virtual reality, which you saw in the video, yeah. which is the, the main immersive one that has, uh, gives you the best experience and more dimensions of data. But you can, as a person, have your mobile phone and tablet and okay. be in an airport or something, have the same visualization in front of you and interact with it and talk to the person who might be in virtual reality. Right, okay. So the com it's communication and collaboration yeah, yeah. so across happen, devices. So if someone's in there 
you know, and just found something, they can share it with someone without them having to set up the whole yeah. HTC Vive um, surround. Yeah, absolutely. And the, and the technology is also moving forward anyway in terms of virtual reality because you're getting standalone headsets now like the Oculus Quest, yeah. which are amazing in terms of tracking. So it's all, yeah. the whole commercial side of this is really pulling this, yeah, pulling yeah, this yeah. forward. Great. Um, we are a bit out of time. I yes, want to ask you sorry. those questions about your clients <laughs> and where you see it going in the future. So maybe we just one quick one. Okay. Um, what do you think the next 12 months holds for, for Lyra and... Uh, the, ne the next 12 months, well, we're still developing, because we're at MVP at the moment, so we're still developing the future of the platform to be completely self-service. Um, so we're hoping that in about a year we'll be able to release that commercially. Okay. So we're still, at the moment, doing projects with our clients uh, and visualizations bespoke to yeah, them. Yeah. And because it's a completely emerging market, yeah, yeah. Um, everybody's still learning. Yeah. <laughs> but you're, you're taking that learning and building it into the platform to launch as a commercial thing. That Absolutely, yeah. Well, I wish you all the best with that. It's thank really you. exciting. Thanks very much, Laura. <laughs> Cheers. Thank you. Okay, next up, we've got Don from Hexos. <laughs> Hi, Don. You all right? Yeah. <clears throat> right. Uh, so you're, you're here to talk about um, a new digital service that you've built over the last six months. Uh, yeah, yeah, which... I am. Sorry, I'm just like getting used to holding this microphone. No, it's all good. Back, back fist away, basically. Yeah, okay, we'll do that. <laughs> um, uh, and the, so the service, well, should, should we start with a story maybe? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's... Um, so there's, there's, there's two problems here, really. There's a larger one and a more, a more specific problem. Um, the more general problem is that a couple of months ago, I, it came to my attention that there's a heck of a lot of data out there, specifically public transport data, that people just are not using to the best of their ability. For example, um, companies and businesses, have, they've got access to this data, potentially even free, but they, they, they could just spend hours, months, just sifting through it mm -hmm. to come to no proper conclusion. Or they have got <coughs> software already installed in their kind of offices that's not really not really using this data properly yeah. um, and that's a problem because companies want really really slick systems to be able to visualize this data as you identified data visualization is pretty key at the moment and it can really help with business decisions um, sorry it keeps drifting away from me <laughs> <laughs> it's all right um, and Embrace the, the microphone. yeah <laughs> Um, and the more specific problem um, here, um, actually, I'm going to give a slight bit of background. I'm, I'm 18. I've just finished my A-levels at UTC, which you, you may have heard of as a technical college, which is over by um, Medhall. Um, and it specializes in computing. So it kind of explain, explains why I'm here. Yeah. But a, a lot of students come to UTC via public transport. And public transport is one of those, it's kind of hard to know where you can get get from using public transport because somebody could actually get from London to here really, really quickly. But somebody that's maybe in the middle of the Petra States can't get there in that same sort of time. Really hard to know what's going on with public transport. It's pretty random. Yeah. UTC wanted a good way of, of knowing which areas they could recruit from. And right. they were completely missing out recruiting from Maltby. And Maltby, people from Maltby could actually get there quicker than me, which is quite frustrating. But um, they... They needed, they needed a way to, to prove that people could get from certain places so they could take this up to senior leadership and start recruiting from new places. Okay, so, so, so you're an A-level student at the UTC doing yeah. computing and other things, and you, you found out that there was this issue where the UTC weren't sure which schools they should be trying to recruit from to bring new students to the Olympic Legacy Park, which is where the, that UTC is based. It, yeah, exactly. And, and stupidly, I decided to start Programming Solution just as I started doing my exams. <laughs> <laughs> and that probably brings us on to our next slide. Um, so I, I have created a solution. And to put it simply, um, Public Transport Heat Map is an online service that creates heat maps to visualize public transport commute times anywhere in the UK, any time of day and any day of the week. That's, that's a brief. Public heat maps. It's, you know Cooperinol are based here in Sheffield, right? Pardon? It does exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. It's a classic Sheffield um, thing to say. So, so you produce public transport heat maps to show all sorts of different organisations how long it would take someone to get from anywhere in a, a certain radius 
Um, yeah, so uh, for example, um, you can probably see from these images, I don't know how good they are up there, not doing brilliantly. Um, but pretty much these compare the, the travel to departing at 6 a.m. and departing at, um, sorry, um, arriving in the center of Sheffield at 6 a.m. and arriving in the center at 8.30 a.m. And even in that oh. two, two and a half hours, you can see a major difference in where you can, you can get from. Um, so you can imagine taking this, getting a couple of times in one day and then comparing that with a weekend. For example, I, I ran one for my hometown of Stocksbridge and I did it for arriving at 7 a.m. in the morning. It was laughable. You had to walk. The only things it showed were walking. I was like, you really, really? <laughs> it, it's brilliant. It, it was right. absolutely no public so transport reason. authorities and, and, and bus companies to be able to understand how effective their, tr their transport system is. This is... This is really, really useful. But um, do they not already have this? Why? Weirdly, places don't have this. The only thing that the closest thing that is already existing are um, a kind of Isoline maps, right. but they're they're showing really average data, and it's really it's data that you can't really use. And what's so special about what well, I think so special about these maps is that they're based off departure and arrival times. A lot of ISO lines are just moving time. Now I know some of my friends are so they're averaged over a lot. They're, they're sort of they might be averaged through the day or they might just exclude transfer times and stuff like that. What's oh. really, really good about these these maps is that they they consider when you actually need to do set off by to arrive by that time because i've got friends at utc that could get there they, they have to get to utc 40 minutes yeah. before the start of that school day if they got a later bus they'd they'd be late yeah. but these heat maps are showing this so they're showing accurate accurate kind right. of the yeah, so travel time so basically it shows you where where it's okay to live to get to the utc <laughs> in time pretty much <laughs> where it really isn't. and some of the places that aren't okay to live are you know, geographically much closer yeah. Yeah. than places like Maltby. Yeah. <laughs> that happens to have, you know, really good public transport links mm. that they would never have known about otherwise. Pretty much. Okay. Um, so you, you built this in your spare time while you're at school doing your A-levels? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll talk a bit about how it was made. Um, this, I, I, I just, um, I did some work experience at Hive IT and they introduced me to the world of AWS and I thought this is, this is awesome. This is, this, it was like life changing compared to what was, I'd kind of been looking at at school and stuff like that. Yeah. I thought, let's build something with AWS. And I've been able to create a really, really high speed cloud system that can, can generate these, these heat maps there and then for you. For example, my largest size of heat map I can create in 20 minutes. Really? Using my, what, I have a- What I, kind of radius and- uh, so my largest, my largest heat map is 75 kilometer radius. Wow. So it's covering it's something like 17,000 square kilometers of, of data points, um, which is fairly big. Yeah. <laughs> and you can push that out inside 20 minutes? Yeah, so I, I've created a, a web application that's um, hosted on Heroku. Mm -hmm. And you can just log in, create an account, and you've got a huge dashboard. And using payment codes, you can go in, request heat maps, you get an email letting you know. Yeah, it, we, we, we started work on it and then you get an email letting you know to come back to the website. There's an online interactive version that you can go on, like Google Maps, you can interact with it, click on it. And then I saw there's a, there's a folder that you can download with loads and loads and loads of um, high definition images, as well as I give you the raw GeoJSON data so you can go away and do way more colorful things right, than so I you have. Can, you can import <laughs> it into Alira if you wanted to. Um, so, so, so you haven't just built this as a proof of concept then, you've built this as a proper service. I initially, yeah, in about two weeks since we'd, I decided to do it, I had a local version running. Yeah. And then I thought, no, we can do more than this. There's more than just UTC who could use this, which probably takes us onto the next slide, okay. which really, it can be used by a lot of people. And I imagine some of you already thought of other use cases. Um, some being such as homeowners. They've just moved to a new town. You've just moved to Sheffield. You've got a job in the city center. I want to find a house. Let's generate a heat map very quickly. I can see where are good places to go. I can compare that with kind of crime rates or house prices. And there you go. You can really home down on a place to get a home. <laughs> um, and I've also been talking to companies such as Stantec, who are a city planning company. Yeah. Um, and they can use these heat maps potentially overlaid with postcode data as uh, to to kind of suggest where to place new council buildings or if business are relocating, uh, things like that. And also we're going to, I'm looking at putting new transport 
routes over these heat maps. So let's say someone's come up with a new bus route. We'll put that on the top of this heat map. So you've right. got like a before and an after. Okay. And that can be hugely, hugely valuable to so, them. So you could, you could account for changes that haven't been made yet. So, you know, prospective bus routes, would how yeah. they would affect the travel to work time, say. Yeah, so for example, you had a heat map and it just had a huge blank area in it because yeah. there wasn't something there. And a company comes to me and says, we're actually thinking of putting this new bus route on. Let's see what that will actually look like so, so realistically. So where's the data coming from at the moment? Uh, so the, Google, um, the data's coming from Google. Okay. It's, it is available from Google. And I am just manipulating that a lot. Okay. to get to this current position. Yeah. So, so you're, you're doing your, you're polling Google from all of these different locations in a radius. Yeah, so my, an average heat map can be made up of about 8,000 discrete journeys. Right. And that, so it's created loads and loads of journeys. Rather than, I just don't like the, the idea of averaging data. Yeah. What's wrong? Why do we have to average data? Sorry, that's just changed color and it's freaking me out now. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to talk a bit about my, my time at Right, UTC. So this is, I mean, even for the UTC, as much as the UTC is a, is a great school and, and it's great to have a, a computing school uh, or a, a, a vocational school that does computing, this isn't, this isn't the norm that all UTC students would do this. Um, no. It's not as uncommon as... No, I think um, UTC really should and is the birthplace of things like this. It's such a great environment that promotes people actually going and creating these things. If you just stuck with education as it is, you might not actually create any, you'd, you'd get your basic kind of websites and stuff like that. But because UTC pull employers in, you're getting real life experiences, you're getting real life projects. And suddenly within a month, you've been given a, a, a project by a company. You've got a month to, to, to turn it around. Yeah. And it's, it's fantastic because you're working your socks off to, to learn these new technologies. Yeah, yeah. And you get exposed to the technologies like the ones you just showed. Yeah, and then you get in the employer links as well. They're used in you know, really large-scale systems, and they're, they're not out of range of your ability to understand no. them and use them yourself. Um, but So, yeah, I, UTC is absolutely fantastic. So, so, what you, so you've just done your A-levels? I've just done my A-levels, and I'm now studying computer science at the University of Sheffield. Brilliant. So. Fantastic. And I know you did very well in your A-levels as well, didn't you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, and, but you're carrying on with Hexos and, and building this platform. Yeah, we'll just see where it goes. It's been fun. So. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Well, it's a brilliant story and we wish you all the best. And Thank it's you. It's great to see a young entrepreneur in our tech scene. Thanks very much, Tom. <laughs> That's all right. Thank you. <laughs> I'd like to invite John and Ib up from... Uh, I can, you know, I always forget the name of your company. It's Cubic. Cubic. I always want to say Quantic or Quadric or something. Yeah, it's not a very Cubic. good, um, it's a surveying company, but you wouldn't know it from the name. <laughs> um, so, so, yeah, you're a surveying company and um, you guys use the whole range of new technologies that are available for, for surveying um, to do all sorts of different interesting things which you're going to talk to us about. Yep. Um, so, do you, guys, do you want to start with your first slide? Yep. <laughs> So um, we are building surveyors. Um, we specialise in um, major loss insurance claims, which are things like fire, flood and explosions. Um, my background, I originally started as an engineer. I've been doing CAD for nearly 30 years, which is showing my age a bit now. Yeah. Um, and I'm obviously always fascinated in things that make our job easier and quicker. Um, so we use you know, things like thermal imaging cameras, uh, drones. We've, we've spent a large amount of money and time over the last kind of eight years, kind of investing in drone technology mm -hmm. and uh what we found out is the drone is you know it's very exciting but actually the, the really interesting bit is we are effectively gathering data mm -hmm. and we're turning it into digital data which From then all of these different platforms yeah they all generate digital data and then it's, it's how we use that data to add value to you know our clients basically yeah yeah so should we look at some of the things that you yeah you do with that data so this is a kind of um bit more of our typical workload this is a um fire damaged supermarket somewhere in the midlands um, it had a very serious fire. The building had been left empty for six to eight weeks in the middle of the summer. Um, and when we, were, when we arrived, there was no lights. There was rotting food. There was wires hanging from the ceiling. These are pretty grim, horrible yeah, not buildings. Not safe environment. Not nice. And you want to spend as little time in there as possible. Yeah. Um, and we, this is one of the first jobs we, um, we tested. We brought the camera, but we, we mapped this building. And basically, we went in there. I think we were there for the best part of the day. 
wasn't nice. Poor Ibs, first time he'd ever been in a fire damaged building. He's welcome to my world. Um, but for us, you know, when we are on site, we have to take a full documented photographs. We have to measure it. Yeah. Um, and then we've got to put, you know, a plan together, how we're going to fix this building, whether it needs to be demolished or how we repair it. Yeah. Um, and what we found with this technology is we can very quickly map a building and it will give us, effectively, we can generate floor plans from the data automatically. Right. Um, and what would have taken you know, a week, two weeks for us to document and measure this building we were doing in, you know, talking like 24 hours. Right. So, and so, and so, so what technology are you using to do the mapping in the first place? Um, well, the technology, um, we've brought the camera with us, but basically it's using a combination of photogrammetry, which is taking lots of photographs. And then by using, you know, the, the idea is if you've got a camera and you take a picture of the same thing from two spots, yeah. you can use trigonometry to work out distances and 3D data. Yeah. Um, it's also using um, a technology called um, SLAM LiDAR. It's a bit confusing. Okay. Light detection and ranging. Basically, you fire a laser, it works at how long it takes to come back to the camera. Yeah. Um, but, you know, basically you're blending photographs with 3D point cloud data. Right, so, so the LiDAR, and it rotates, I guess, and gives you a point cloud of where it's hit objects. Yeah, I mean, the, um, the camera we've got with us, um, it's, it's quite, it looks like something from Fisher-Price. It's quite simple. It turns <laughs> round. It's got six quite high-definition cameras. Uh -huh. It's also got three infrared emitters, which effectively transmits a red grid onto the building right. or the room. So as it's turning, it's kind of working out walls and linear edges. And then you bring all of that data together into that visualisation. Yeah. But and you, you can also create a floor plan from it where you used to have to survey the building, yeah. set up and measure all the points. And yeah, we'd, we'd go around with, you know, we've got laser tape measures nowadays, yeah. which are quite, people think Very are really easy. quite, um, but you know, to measure a supermarket like this would take two men, probably the best part of a whole day, two days. Yeah. Then to put it into the CAD department and draw it up, you're looking at least a week to two weeks where, where what it would have taken weeks, we're now doing it in days, if not 24 hours. Yeah. Um, the, the business case for this, for the insurers, is that it provides a snapshot in time of the, the fire damage. And also they can work out from the images that we supply whether the claim is um, bona fide. Right. So if, somebody's, if, if, the, um, if the owner is claiming for um, X amount of damage, they can actually see whether that damage is there or not. So it, and, and then later on, it becomes a, a data record going forward for any future claims or any future insurance policies. Right, right. So, so if something else happens and yeah. it's because something wasn't addressed, yes. or the claim is that it wasn't addressed, you can no. show that it didn't need to be addressed. Yes. So the value of the data is that it provides a, a better risk assessment yeah. for the insurers. Okay. And so that, that's the business model for this particular use case of using this technology. Yeah, I mean, the, the other thing is, you know, traditionally we've used 3D scanners, which generate huge amounts of data, yeah. enormous amounts of data. And to actually give that data to your client to, in a way they can actually consume it and use it and, and understand it. I mean, this is basically, it, the product is hosted in the cloud. We send them a link. They can click on it on their iPhone, their iPad. They can look around it. We can phone each other. We can have, you know, we can have a, an, an online discussion together. And basically, photographs don't lie. It is what it yeah. is. But the thing for us, not only is it a visual record, but we get geometric 3D data. Right. So we can measure it and quantify it. But, um, but you, you use commercially available off-the-shelf technologies to do this. Yeah. But then, but then you add a, an additional service to bring the data together and make it available for, for clients. Is that yeah. I mean, um, you know, it's, it's an emerging technology. I mean, this effectively is the company who, who basically created this technology. Allegedly, they are the biggest VR company in the world. But, you know, there are much more high-tech, sophisticated VR solutions out there, but this is very easy to consume. It's very quick. It's very easy to understand. And a lot of our clients, they're not, you know, you're not sending them something they don't understand that they don't know how to use. So it's, it's easy for them to consume. Yeah. But we and can actually counts. get some very precise information out of it. Yeah. And once we've captured a site, you know, the, the thing is, it's, you know, we go around telling our clients we create digital twins yeah. of buildings. Yeah, of destroyed buildings. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is, you know, this is the, the, the pretty sharp end of what we yeah. do. Okay. Well, let's have a look at another one then. Um, so this is it's kind of a, the other scale. Okay. Oh, I've gone the wrong way. This is kind of the other scale, isn't it? So this is presumably taken from a drone. Yeah, so this is, um, this is using the drone technology. This was, um, we got a call from a client um, who's got, 
He's bought a farm and lots of land out in Italy. This is incredibly valuable um, wine-growing region. Um, and he basically bought this land. And then there was a local dispute where a, another local farmer had the rights to farm his land. And there became a bit of a land dispute about who owned what and what they're allowed to do. So it was a phone call. I mean, he's, a, he's a, quite a good friend of mine. But basically, I got a phone call saying, I need you out here with your drone. I think it was February when we had the beast from the east and all the trains were not working. Right. He goes, I need you out here with your drone tomorrow. So I had to get on a plane with a drone, worrying whether I'd actually get it through customs. Um, and basically, I digitized a whole valley of, of a wine-growing region. Okay. And this was a video of it coming back from its job. But basically, when it's, when it's out there scanning, it's flying, taking lots of photographs. We then process it in a, you know, in a boat. So, so, so this is the video feed from the drone? This is the video feed of the drone. And then, and then this, is a, this is a sample of the point cloud it will actually generate. Right. So this is using photogrammetry, which again... But again, it, for us, it generates very precise, accurate 3D data, which we can measure, analyze, process. And once we've got this data, there's a whole other ecosystem of how you can analyze it and actually add value to it, which is something that we can. But, for, but the most important thing was that we won the case. It went to court and we won. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's what you want for your case study. Plus, plus, <laughs> plus the other guy who was trying to make the claim got actually prosecuted by the Italian, Italian Forestry Commission because we had such condemning oh, evidence. Really? Yeah, he got it. The, so he, that my client, he won his case. It all went away and the other guy got prosecuted. Wow. So Okay. Beware. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So... So this is obviously a really fast emerging and developing field, mm. um, and um, you're based here in the workstation, is that right? Yeah, we're um, we're currently up in the um, five and five suite. Yeah. Um, myself, Nibs, he's from Manchester. I'm in. I'm originally from Rotherham, but I'm a local boy, um, and I'm incredibly proud to be here. You know, there's all these other technologies and business around me. I think you know it's, and what I, what we didn't realise because I've actually spoken at some big RICS conferences, this technology, construction and agriculture are the most backward digital industries in the UK. Right. They are, you know, there's a lot of surveyors out there who are very good, but they have got absolutely no idea about this technology. This and it's quite, it's quite, you know. There's a real opportunity here to, yeah. to use it right and to provide the data services and the visualization and customer service on top of it. Yes. Yeah. Um, and actually on the subject of agriculture, this is kind of the kind of applications that are emerging as a result of this, isn't it? Yeah, because I mean, um, People get really excited about the drones, but at the end of the day, the drone is just a vehicle for carrying a sensor. Yeah. Now, a sensor could be a high-resolution camera, it could be a thermal imaging camera, it could be a laser scanner, it could be something that's measuring pollutants, it could be carrying, you know, there's, there's a whole raft of things. But one of the big areas, I think, is with drones is that to actually digitize farmland and agriculture and, um, you know, this kind of, and actually be able to analyze the light reflected off plants Mm -hmm. It's quite a sophisticated area of science, and I think this is one of the big areas where this is going to go. I really right. do. I mean, obviously, we, we measure buildings. Yeah. Effectively, we're using this equipment to measure buildings, but the whole raft of, you know, this thing we found that now we've embraced the drone and the digital scanning technology has opened a number of doors and avenues we didn't even know existed, really. Yeah. yeah. So kind of unexplored. I mean, obviously, there's work going on, but mm. there is not common practice everywhere. And, no. You know, you see images like this, and you, you think, oh, yeah, if you could bespoke how you tend every every unit of that land I mean, there's, individually. There's, you the, could increase yields and you could increase... Yeah, well, that's the thing. We can, um, you know, there's quite a lot of research got into this that you can, you know, you can quite easily improve the yield and effectively the profitability for a farmer by at least 10% of you utilise this technology without using chemicals or, you know, enhancements just by simply knowing which parts of your crop need more attention, where you've got drainage issues, you know, even just for landscaping. Mm. Um, but you know, it's um, it's definitely a growing area. Yeah, exciting. Yeah. Um, earlier on, there was a, a reference to uh, Innovate UK. I think the gentleman here made the reference. Um, what I want to say is that we are looking actively for problems and problems in the digital mapping area, because we work very closely with Innovate UK, and there is an. Uh, on the 7th of October this, this uh, next month, we're attending a briefing where £135 million is available for funding over the next four years for projects. So we're actively looking for problems that need a solution that we can work with partners. So if you have a problem that involves a digital um, mapping or digital space, a 3D imaging and so forth, please come and talk to us. And perhaps we can form some form of collaboration and go to Innovate UK and see, 
give us the money. We'll do it. That'd be great. Yeah. Fantastic. Okay. And, and you're at the back with some of your technology and some of the visualizations. Yes, we are. Got. Yeah. That's fantastic. Okay. John and Ibs, everyone. Thank you. Thank you. From, from Cubic Aerials. <laughs> and there we go. I hope you enjoyed those talks from the Sheffield Digital Showcase. You can watch them if you want, because they're posted on Sheffield Digital's YouTube channel too, so you can go and take a look at them live and in person. And of course, if you want the real live and in-person experience, then you can actually go to an event. They take place every quarter or so. That's four times a year for those of you with mass problems. And, um, And they're great. You should go along. They're fantastic. If you want to subscribe to this podcast, which is something that I really do recommend, you can do that in Apple Podcasts or whichever app that you particularly like to use for subscribing to and listening to podcasts. There are many of them these days. You can also go and listen to previous episodes via the app that you've just chosen, or on the Sheffield Digital website, you can go there, and you can tell someone about it too. Just say, hey, look, there's a Sheffield Digital podcast thing. The person who hosts it can't say Sheffield Digital very well, and yet he does it all the time. We'll be very grateful for your support. Let someone know. And that's it. Until next time.